Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Din and Daf. I am Alana Steinhain, and this is where we conceptualize halacha on the basis of something that has come up in the Daf this week. So I'm actually going to do something that I hope will be interesting for the next few weeks. I want to look at the categories of cheresh, shote, and katan. And I want to look at each one of them separately. A cheresh being someone who is both deaf and mute. A shota being someone who has psychosis that is untreated. And a katan being someone who is a minor. And for each one of these next three weeks, I'm going to devote a shear to one of those categories. The reason why I want to do this is because they these categories have come up a number of times. And I think that it is relevant for us to get a better understanding, a sort of more balcony understanding, looking from the top down at what these categories actually are. So today we're actually going to start with shote, even though usually the triad is cheresh and then shote and then katan. And the reason why I want to do that is because often a cheresh is compared to a shote. So I actually want to start with understanding, well, what is a shote to begin with? Or for a woman, what is a shota? Who is a shota to begin with? So one thing that we should be aware of is we are talking about very sensitive issues in the sense that we're discussing people's, I guess, their identity in society and their being included or excluded from certain things. And I want to make sure that nothing in this is said in a way that feels patronizing or uh, inappropriate. And if there is something that I say in a manner that isn't really uh, sensitive enough to the dignity of different people, then please do me a favor, read me charitably and fix it on your own, sort of in the way that you say it. And of course, you can always email me um, and tell me that. So the way that Kherashota and Katan come up in this week's DAF is kind of really a continuation of last week's DAF. And that is the Mishnah. And I'm going to share my screen for some reason. It's not doing it. Yeah. Okay. That is the Mishnah. Let's make this look nice for you. Of Kherashota and Katan Pekiyatan Ra'a. When it comes to somebody who is deaf and mute or somebody who is a shota, which we're going to discuss what that is, or somebody who is a minor, having a physical altercation with them or a wound related to them is a problem. In what sense? Someone who injures them is actually liable to pay damages. But but if one of them injures someone else, they are exempt from damages. Already, this tells you something about the way we want to treat these um, people who have a different legal status than others is on the one hand, we want to protect them. If somebody hits them, if somebody wounds them, they have to pay them damages. But on the other hand, we don't hold them responsible if they hit someone else. They are not considered a legally responsible actor. And it's really, I think that that trying to manage that combination of recognizing a person's limitation and therefore not holding them responsible and sometimes even having to exclude them from participation in certain things, whether 
it's an obligation in mitzvot, whether it's the ability to do certain transactions, whether financial or when it comes to gittin and kiddushin, those are things that when you do that, to an extent, it is possible that you may dehumanize a person. But on the other hand, the flip side of the coin is that halacha wants to make sure that the dignity of these people as people who should be protected, as people who are full, fully selam uh, elokim under the law, that I think comes through already in this Mishnah. And I think that's really, really important to keep in mind throughout. So we are going to look at three categories of shota or shota, and they are as follows. One category, the shota gamor, a person who is considered completely shota, which means they are not chayavim in mitzvot. They cannot uh, uh, accept kiddushin and they cannot give a get. They cannot, uh, their financial transactions are not uh, binding, okay? They cannot give edut. They can't give testimony, okay? That's one, shota gamor. Then there is the itim halim itim shota, a person who is sometimes um, fully cogent in their mental capacity and sometimes is a shota. And that person, when they are fully cogent, they are considered like any other legally responsible adult, assuming that they are an adult. But when they are in their state of psychosis, then they are not responsible under the law in the same way. And the last category that we're going to look at is called a shota ledavar echad, somebody who is not completely enveloped in psychosis in terms of all of their judgments, but there's a specific area in which they're, um, they're, they are not b'nei da'at. They are not people who can understand the world the way it actually is before them. And let me make very clear that what we're talking about here is psychosis. That's the category that we're talking about. Something that actually interferes with a person's ability to perceive reality as it is and to make logical decisions on that basis and is diagnosable as having a psychotic situation that is happening. Okay, I think that's really, really important. Sometimes people, when they ask what is a shota, they don't know where you might draw the line between what might be called a shota and a petty. A petty being somebody who may have a very low um, intelligence quotient, a very low IQ, and thus doesn't understand everything that they're experiencing, but that still doesn't make them, and this is actually a mahloket among decisors, but um, many will suggest that that does not fall into the category of shota. that a petty is someone who is high of a mitzvot, a petty is someone who is involved in the system, and a shota is somebody who is radically different in the sense that they are having a real deep mental illness, okay? So let's take a look. The Gemara in Chagiga is the place that talks about how to define um, a shota. And it's taking its cue from a tosefta in Shrumot, but I'm doing the Gemara in Chagiga because I think it will give us already a framework for understanding the different types of identity as a shota. So here we go, number two. Tanara Banan is a shota. So the rabbis taught who is a shota. 
someone who goes out alone at night, right? Gives you a sense that maybe their judgment is off. Somebody who sleeps in the cemetery. And somebody who whips their own clothes. So it sounds like there are three aspects of being a shota. Now, are these all aspects that have to happen together or is one of them sufficient? Are these examples of a certain way of being, but do not exhaust all the possibilities of what would cause you to define someone as a shota? So all that is coming. Itmar, it was stated, Rav Huna Amar, Achiyu Kulan Bevatachat. Rav Huna said, a person has to do all three of these things in order to be considered a shota. Rabbi Yochanan Amar, Afilu Bachatmehem. Rabbi Yochanan says, nope, even just one of them. Okay? So, Hefi Dami. Mara says, wait, I want to understand what, this machloket between Rav Huna and Rabbi Yochanan of, do you have to have all three of these symptoms or do you have to show all three of these applications of psychosis or is one enough? What are they referring to? So the Gemara says, if we're talking about somebody who does something in a manner that is clearly deranged, then then probably even Rav Huna would agree that even one of these, if it's done in a manner that is clearly a result of a psychotic breakdown or a psychotic um, uh, baseline in terms of the way someone understands something, then of course, even one would be enough to categorize someone as a shodeh. And on the other hand, if somebody's doing this in a way that isn't deranged, right? Let's say I'm walking alone at night because I need to get to someone's house or I'm sleeping in a cemetery because I'm hiding out from somebody who's trying to find me or I'm tearing my garment. I don't know, maybe because I'm about to sew a piece of this garment onto something else, right? And if that's the case, that it wasn't then even if you do all three of these, then you're still not a shota. So what are we even talking about where Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Huna would have this machloket? Sigmar says, no, no, no. All of these, the situation is, a person does it in a manner that shows that they are clearly out of their right mind, okay? And here's why there is a machloket. Somebody who's sleeping in the cemetery, a person might try to make an excuse for them and say, ah, so maybe this person is looking to have some sort of ruach for ah, they're, they're, or not ruach for ah, really ruach tumah. They're trying to become tameh in some way. And that's something that they want to do, right? So maybe there's some logic to it. Maybe somebody who goes out at night, a more that gandrifas achtei, then maybe this person, they're, they, they're heating up, they're burning up with a fever and they go outside, you know, to get to get cool, to cool down. Meaning I, I make excuses for what they're doing. And somebody who tears their clothes. Maybe I think, oh, they're, you know, they're like daydreaming and they're thinking about something and they don't even realize that they're tearing, right? So we try to give a logical explanation for what might be going on, right? But nonetheless, even if you could try to figure out a logical explanation, Rav Huna would say, if somebody's doing all three of these things, right? It's like an ox that gored, meaning pardon comparing a human to an ox. This is a legal comparison, right? It's like an ox that has gored three times, but what has it done? It's gored three different animals, right? It's gored a fellow ox. 
it's gourd a donkey, and it's gourd a camel, right? muad And through that, it becomes a muad. It becomes something that is known to gore, but not just known to gore, one type of animal, known to gore in general. Likewise, if somebody does these three different things, even if you could, pro like for each one, you could maybe excuse it and say, this is why this, this is why that. Once you see them doing all three, you're sort of like, mm, no, we're talking about a real manifestation of psychosis here. And we understand this to be a generalized issue. Okay. Now, starting with this machloket, it sounds like what we have here really is the difference between what I called before a shoted gamor, somebody who is a full shoteh, that is that their psychosis manifests in many different realms. Whereas the Rabbi Yochanan, who says, even if you have one of these manifestations, it sounds like he's he may be talking about a shotel devarachad, right? A person who has shtut in one uh, in one type or, or not. But it's not clear because maybe for Rabbi Yochanan, you could have shtut in one type of one type of shtut, and you're considered a shote gomor, right? It's not totally clear, but at the very least, what this has started for us is it started a conversation about what are the manifestations of shtut? What does it take in order to um, uh, classify someone in this manner and thus tell them they, they are putter from mitzvot, they do not do mekach and memkar, meaning business, they do not do a get and kiddushin, they do not uh, serve as witnesses and things of that nature. But Rav Papa adds one more thing. Right? Rav Papa says, you have Amar Rav Papa, one second, Amar Rav Papa, if Rav Papa says, if Rav Huna, who requires all three in order to be a Shota, right? If he had heard the following Brita, who's a Shota? It's somebody who destroys whatever is given to them, which sounds like that is kind of a totalizing. They don't have a sense of ability to... Uh, hold on to things. They don't have an ability to recognize when something has value. I mean, there's something they don't understand. Um, they don't. They don't really understand their reality. They they rip up anything that you give them. If he had heard that, says Rav Papa, Haba Hadere, he would have changed his mind. Now he would have changed his mind about what, right? Or literally, he would have reneged on what he said. He would have reneged on what he said, meaning he might have said, you don't need all three of these manifestations, but it's enough if you just have somebody who tears up everything you give them. Is it possible that maybe he would have gone back, reneged on what he said, means he wouldn't have had the category of mikareak suto, somebody who destroys their clothing because it would have been this category of somebody who destroys everything you give them. It's not really clear, but suffice it to say, this does give us a fourth symptom or fourth manifestation of what it means to be a shota, right? Now, these are the categories and exemplars of being a Shota Gamor. There are people who I give a lot of credit to them. I think it's beautiful, actually, who have spent their lives or pieces of their lives trying to define who a Shota or a Shote is in the 21st century. And I'm going to mention a few names because I think if you're interested in this, it's really worth looking them up. One is Dr. Rael Strauss. Uh, S-T-R-U, 
O-U-S. He has a bunch of articles online about who is the Shota today, and he focuses on certainly for the Shota Gamor, and we'll get to the two other types of Shota, certainly for the Shota Gamor, he suggests that a case of schizophrenia, which uh, is essentially unabated, that cannot be resolved and is not resolved, um, even through medication, that is a person who would qualify as a Shota Gamor. Another person who has been very involved in this arena is Rabbi Yonatan Rosenzweig, Rabbi Yoni Rosenzweig in Israel. He wrote a magnificent book in Hebrew along with a Dr. Harris, who I don't know personally, but I do know Rabbi Yoni personally. Um, and it's called Nafshi B'She'elati. And it is about mental illness in halacha. And so he does start with a conversation. He does start with an essay of what is the definition of a shoteh? Who is a shoteh? And in the back of the book, he has like a 40, 50 page uh, piece on it so that you can learn more. But suffice to say, this is our show to Gummer. Our show to Gummer is somebody who does not really um, process reality in a manner that leads them to uh, be able to function uh, in a healthy way. Okay. I want to get to our second category because our second category, Lomuvan Melav, it's not something that you might have assumed that Chazal would be able to distinguish between somebody who they would call a Shote Gamor and somebody who is sometimes lucid and sometimes Shote. The decision to make that distinction is furthering the dignity of the Shote and awareness that just because some people had some, just because someone might have a time of psychosis does not mean that their entire life and personality is defined by psychosis. And so we're looking at the Bavli and Rosh Hashanah, which is actually in the category of the categories in a conversation about eating matzah on Pesach. And if somebody thought that a shade, if somebody thought that a, uh, a, a demon was forcing them to eat matzah. And in the context of that, we talk about the shota. So you say, itim chalim itim shota, somebody who sometimes, I'm saying in English, campos mentis, meaning they are mentally competent. They are mentally aware. They are in control of their thoughts, but it's more than that. It's they understand what's going on around them in a way that is not, um, uh, what's the word, filtered through a psychosis, right? But other times they are a shota. Kishu chalim, when they are lucid, that person is considered fully legally responsible adult, which means that if they did something when they were a shota, and then they did it again, and what I mean is they performed a halachic act again when they were chalim, when they were lucid, that halachic act counts that second time around, whether it's eating matzah, whether it's doing a transaction, right? Meaning that is really significant to be able to recognize that a person has the ups and downs. And uh, Dr. Strauss, the way he talks about this, the example that he gives is somebody who might have either a psychotic disorder that can be ameliorated for a time through medication, or somebody who is suffers from bipolar disorder who may between the manic episodes and the depressive episodes, there are episodes of simple baseline default, um, perfectly non-psychotic understanding of the world. And that would be a case of chalim, right? So notice this person can flip and be a pikeach, can be perfectly halachically responsible for their uh, decisions and their transactions 
and chayav in mitzvot when they are lucid and when they are experiencing their psychotic episodes, they are not responsible. They are not held culpable and they are not obligated in mitzvot and they may not perform certain transactions. Okay, so that's our second category, itim chalim, itim shotem. Now let's get to our third category. Our third category is somebody who is a shote lidavar echad, right? And by the way, I just want to say if there are any psychiatrists or psychologists who are watching this, I would be happy to have any feedback that you have. I am clearly not a psychologist. I am not a psychiatrist. I am simply somebody who really wants to understand instead of um, creating a category that feels like a cartoon, that feels like a sort of a caricature of a person to really understand what it is that Chazal are recognizing and trying to be sensitive to, um, are trying to be sensitive to, essentially. So the Rambam cites Shotel Devarachad in a very clear way. So I wanted uh, to use his example, and he's talking about the halachot of Eidut. Okay, Hashote, someone who is uh, psychotic, Pasola Eidut Minatora, they are invalid, uh, invalidated from being uh, offering testimony biblically. Lefisha eno ben mitzvot because they are not considered within the category of mitzvot. Velo shote shihu malech arom u'mishaber kelim v'zorik avanim bovad. And we're not just talking about a shote who walks around naked or breaks things or throws uh, rocks, right? Meaning it's talking about behavior that there is recognizable as a, being a result of psychosis. Elakol mishin itrefad da'ato. It's Anybody, okay, this is actually really, really uh, important. Anybody whose mind is, you know, nitrifa, like, um, you know, the English here says disturbed, I, you know, their their mind essentially is is affected in a in a a manner that is very serious and enduring. tamid. And they're always confused, meaning they're always a little off in their understanding of what? Bidavar min hadvarim, in one area. In one area. Afalki shehu midaber, even if the person can speak, vishoel, and can ask, ka'inyan, in a totally baseline way that is not psychotic. When it comes to other issues, if they in this one area remain delusional, then that person is invalid as a witness. And they should be considered as a shota. Now, this is a really intriguing category because this category recognizes, as opposed to the itim chalim itim shota, where sometimes this person is fully lucid and sometimes this person is fully psychotic. In the case of Shota Ledevar Echad, Dr. Strauss suggests that what we're talking about is like a delusional disorder. If someone has a delusion in one arena of life where they don't see things as they really are and make decisions not based on logical uh, input from the environment around them, but filtered through a delusion. And in that situation, we say that person is not Itim Chalim Itim Shota. Even though in every other realm, they can speak with a sense of true understanding of what is going on around them and mental cogency because they constantly, uh, in an ongoing, enduring way, 
are not mentally cogent when it comes to this one thing, they are still a shota. Now, it is not clear, not everybody paskins, and I am certainly not a halachist for those who know me, much more of a Talmudist and Talmudic uh, student of philosophy than I am a halachist. So you'd have to go to halachists for this. But it certainly there certainly is a machloket whether you do treat a shota ledevarachad as a shota gomor in the same way, or whether there are certain things that certain limitations that don't apply to a shota ledevar echad, even if they do apply elsewhere. I want to end with a really um, kind of very sad scenario, but a scenario from history where this question of being a shota and the ability to do transactions, to participate in transactions, came to the fore. And that is in the case called the Get of Cleves, as in the divorce document of Cleves. I'm just going to read it here the way they have it in Jewish Virtual Library. During 1766 to 67, a great controversy flared up, which has become known as the Cleves Get, one of the cause celebs of the 18th century. Though its focal point was Frankfurt, it came to involve most of the great scholars of the day. So this was something that a lot of Talmud Chachamim got involved in talking about. So it was the 8th of Elul, and uh, you know Isaac, the son of Eliezer Nyberg of Mannheim, married Leah, the daughter of Jakob Gunzenshausen, sorry, Gunzhausen of Bonn. Okay, so great. We got the Mannheimer and the Bonn and the Bonners, right? On the Shabbos following the wedding, the Chatan took 94 gold crowns from the dowry, disappeared. After an extensive search, he was found two days later in the house of someone who wasn't Jewish in the village of Fahrenheim, and he was brought home. A few days later, Isaac told his wife's family that he couldn't stay in Germany anymore because there was a grave danger. Someone was out to get him. It threatened him there and that he was obligated to immigrate to England. Now, I want to say before we go any further, people thought that he was suffering from some sort of um, paranoia, some psychosis of paranoia that someone was after him. And that's why he was leaving, which means we might have here a shota, a shota ledavarechad maybe, okay? He declared his willingness to give his wife a divorce in order to prevent her from becoming an aguna. His offer was accepted and Cleves on the German-Dutch border was selected as the place for the get to be given. So on the 22nd of Elul, Rabbi Israel ben Eliezer Lipschitz, who was the Avbeitin of Cleves, he, 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 he uh, what, presided over the divorce. Now, I want you to notice something. We said if somebody is a shota, gummer, you can't give a get. You can't give a get. So what is this person? Is he a shota ledavar echad? And therefore, if he's a shota ledavar echad, he can still give a get, even if there are other things he can't do. Is he not considered a shota at all? Because maybe there's a logic to the fact that if he thinks someone's out to get him, the fact that he wants to run away, there is something logical there. So look at what happens. Leia returns to Mannheim and Isaac proceeds to England. When his father, when Isaac's father, learns of the divorce, he suspects that the whole affair was contrived by the woman's relative to extort the dowry money from Isaac. Okay, you know, family stuff. He turned to Rav Tevla Hess of Mannheim, who invalidated the get on the grounds that, in his view, the husband was not of sound mind when he delivered it. He was a showman. Hess, not relying on his own judgment, applied to the Beitin of Frankfurt and to Naftali Hirsch Katzenellenbogen of Falls, Eliezer Katzenellenbogen of Hagenau, Joseph Steinhardt of Firth, requesting confirmation. The Beitin of Frankfurt, headed by Avram Ben Svi Hirsch of Lissau, 
um, not only agreed, but demanded that Lipschitz himself, the one who had presided over the get, declare the get to be, puzzle to be invalid, and proclaim Leah to still be married. The rabbis of false Hagenau and Firth, on the other hand, okay, upheld Lipschitz. They upheld the get. Interesting, right? Besides for these people who had been quoted before, who were trying to invalidate it. They declared the divorce valid and the woman free to remarry. Both sides, actually, I'm not sure if it was besides for the people mentioned, but I'm not sure. But both sides appealed to all the rabbinical authorities of the time. The rabbi of Cleves got support of all, almost all the leading scholars in the generation, Rav Lowenstam of Amsterdam, Rav Landau of Prague, meaning Rav Yaakov, Emd Rav Yaakov Emdin, the Rav Yecheska Landau of Prague. I mean, you see this list, right? They really, this became sort of the issue. The bait in of Frankfurt was virtually alone in its opposition to them. And again, the moving spirit in the dispute was the Frankfurt Diam, uh, Rabbi Natan ben Shlomo Mas, on whose initiative the Frankfurt rabbis even went so far as publicly and with solemn ceremony to commit to flames the responsa of the Polish rabbis in protest against their intervention in favor of Lipschitz. Oh my gosh. But listen to this. This is wild. The couple finally remarried. This couple, Isaac and Leah, they remarried. And out of deference to the opinion of Rabbi Avram of Frankfurt, who thought that the original get was invalid because Isaac was a shote, no brachot were pronounced at the ceremony. Instead, the Chatan said, you know, I guess I would say, I'm going to say it in my Hebrew, right? I don't know. With this ring, you're still married to me. Wild, wild, wild. But in all seriousness, I want you to, I want you to look at this example and recognize that part of the decision to figure out what is the legal uh, culpability the legal responsibility, the legal obligation, the legal effectiveness of someone who is a shota, part of that is a desire not to impact others in ways that cannot be undone, not to impact others in ways that don't comport to reality. And yet in this situation with the get of cleaves, pronouncing someone as a shote actually would have had terrible effects on Leia because she would have been an aguna. And so this discussion back and forth of how you define a shote and whether a shote ledavar echad should have the same limitations on everything that a shote gamor would have is actually not an academic question in terms of the impact that this has on people. And lastly, I'll say, really, Baruch Hashem, that we have medications that can help people today be able to have a status that is at the very least itim chalim, itim shote, and at a better situation to return them to being able to be a pikeach or a pikachat a legally responsible, accountable adult under the eyes of the law. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week.
for a conversation of the changing status of the cheresh of someone who is deaf and mute in halakha.